Great. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Alfie. We, we love it. All of it. It's good to me. It's good. Um, so what's your history with June? <laughs> Should we do introductions first? Should we? Uh, this is this is going to this is like the coldest of cold opens. I was going to sort of slowly warm us up, yeah? The coldest of cold opens. Hello, here is my medical history. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to know how many needles have been in my body? Because yes, I please. have a running list. No, thank you. <laughs> um, how are you, Josie? Me? It's good. Yeah. Um, is that true? Mm-hmm. Um I've <laughs> mm-hmm. been I made elderflower cordial. No, that's nice. Yes. I got stuck on the roof of the shed yesterday. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um it was a bit traumatic. Uh but I got down and that's good. Good job. Thank you. Um and now I have six beautiful bottles of Elfau Cordial to give to my friends and loved ones. Wow. Delicious. Delicious. Good times. Ray, how is your long weekend going? Um, it's going okay. Yesterday I went on a walk and I saw some cows and that was nice. Nice. And, and today I went to the gym and listened to Big Enough, which is the Screaming Cowboy song. Yes, it's, it's so, so good. They're in love. <laughs> They're in love. That's good. <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> I like at the end when they just shout countries that aren't related to each other or the song at all. <laughs> and the last word of the song is Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they start naming oh. countries and they start naming religions. <laughs> Josie, I have to show you it. It's very funny. Oh, it's so good. See, because I'm not extremely online, I um, I don't know anything. It's got the the screaming cowboy man in the sky. What? <laughs> I will send it to you. Because my brain is wrinkling, trying to picture what it is you're trying to convey to me. <laughs> <laughs> Even that is a very good like thumbnail image. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of an intro with like the whistling. I do like the whistling though. It's very it's good. funny. It's very good. <laughs> am I wa- am I watching this? Well, yeah, watch it. Watch all of it. Am I watching yeah. all of it? It's six minutes long, right? <laughs> what is this? Is this popular music now? I do like sort of cowboy dudes silhouetted against the sky. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> oh god, I hate this so much. <laughs> I hate this whole genre. I hate this rat face. I've <laughs> several different outfits to do this. I love how he sings about eating his horse while, like, tenderly stroking his horse. Yeah! <laughs> what is this genre? <laughs> it's like country EDM. Except, I think it's also Australian. I think that these guys are Australian. How would you even tell? Because I, I read the Wikipedia article. <laughs> it's very important. It's a very important cultural artifact. It's shaped our sort of landscape they're in love also i'm at one minute 39 
and it's already too wild for me to comprehend. Oh my god, it gets wilder. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> See, I've got this far in, in my life without listening to Old Town Road, um, which, I mean, I hear is very good. It is good. But every year, I decide not to listen to the one song that everyone that defines everyone's entire existence. <laughs> and I thought it would be Old Town Road that I've decided not to listen to. I'm sorry, the beat's dropping. Hold on. description because it includes the lyrics including uh the chorus <laughs> oh my god i'm gonna try and compose myself so i can talk about fucking whatever this nothing else means anything <laughs> to me anymore <laughs> only this now <laughs> only this forever now oh god See, it says uh Performed by Karen J. Callanan. Voice, acoustic guitars, electric guitars. Alex Cameron. Voice, morals, ethics. <laughs> Molly ethics. Lewis. Human whistle. Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> human scream. John Kirby. The piano. Aaron Couples. Keys, choir synth, arrangement, programming, wind. Oh, wind. When, I mean, also, what a name, Aaron, Aaron Couples. Couples. Love it. Couples? I don't know. It's with a U and two Ps. Uh, my life will never be the same again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm Ray, <laughs> the vice chancellor of the university. I must resign my post as chancellor. <laughs> I have to go into the, the, the woods and reevaluate my existence. Please introduce yourself. Oh God, I'm sorry. I spoke all over your introduction as well. No, it's fine. It's funny. <laughs> um, m- my name is. <laughs> <laughs> Hearing from a destroyed human. <laughs> um, my name is Josie. I am the Chancellor of the University. My pronouns are she, her. And we have a wonderful guest with us today. Please we introduce do. yourself. Hi, I'm Elle. My pronouns are Zizir. I'm the secretary who <laughs> is the person you go to when you're sick and you need to call home so your mom can come and pick you up. <laughs> Ah, that's cousin at the university. I like it. Very good. Essential personnel only on this episode of the university. (laughs) Definitely. As part of the um the core committee. I don't actually know how universities are run. I I, that's not a university thing. That's like a high school thing. But I couldn't. couldn't But it's extremely good. (laughs) I love it very much. I mean, Ray, you have been to a university, so you know you at least have that. I don't, I, I don't know what a chancellor is. I've said this in previous episodes. Yeah, we don't, we don't have those. Oh, okay. It's like the dean, kind of. Okay. <laughs> I don't actually know what a dean is, though. So, Elle, what's your history with Dune? So, I read Dune in either late middle school or early high school. So, when I was around 15, I read the whole thing from the copy which I am holding now, which is from uh, 1965. So you have a first edition of Dune? No. Is what you're saying? No. This is oh. not a first edition of Dune because it has uh, the uh, other books by Frank Herbert and includes Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Oh, okay. But not the other ones. Not the other ones. Um... And mostly I remember not enjoying it because of the way <laughs> things were written. And I also remember, uh, hanging out, waiting in the, like, reception area of a dentist's office with my dad, waiting to be oh. called. And my dad was like, why don't you read some Dune to me? And <laughs> I. <laughs> oh no. It's your dad request. I read a few paragraphs of Dune aloud in a dentist's office. An ideal consumption of Dune, I think. I I feel honoured to be in the presence of someone who has actually read it, given that <laughs> we go into this, we embark on this project, this institution, um, the administration of this university, <laughs> as dumbasses who have not read it. And well, I remember... Almost not. Ra- Ray has maybe read it now. Yeah, I finished. Well, that's it now. great, and we we welcome you with open arms. But there is a very good book that Al has finished that is called Dune. Yes, Dune with uh-huh. two uh-huh. National Lampoon's Dune by Ellis Weiner. Ellis <laughs> Weiner. Uh huh. Oh, it is from 1984, and I read it right after reading Dune. Which is how I'm going to distinguish between them. There's Dune and there's Dune. 
I mean, do do would you do in in normal circumstances would you pronounce June with the liquid U? Because I think it's like a very English. No, I would. I would not normally. And Americans don't. It is a it is a purposeful distinction. Uh, the liquid U is something that I picked up as a thing that people do from National Public Radio, the soundtrack Ooh, to uh-huh. my childhood. One, <laughs> well, thank you so much for introducing us to Dune. It's very good. Um, it's extremely good. But I did not send you the list of Dune sequels, I don't mm-hmm. think. Dune sequels, which is Dune, uh, Dune Masungana. No, it's it's Men. no, it's <laughs> Dune Masungana. It's uh, Yiddish, uh-huh. and it means crazy. Dune Masungana. <laughs> Very good. Men, women, children, pets of Dune, of Dune. <laughs> Lord God help us, another sequel to Dune. I would so, I would so read Pets of Dune. <laughs> I would read Pets of Dune, like from Dune, and it would just all be pugs. The Dune reference book, Atlas and Rhyming Dictionary. The Dune catalogue of quality menswear for dad and lad. All of which I want to read very oh, much. perfection. Um, perfection. Perfection. Um... Thank you for oh, thank you for this. It's great. We like it. It's good. The thing about Dune is that instead of being a desert planet, Dune is a dessert planet. <laughs> and, well, of course. And the uh, the Quetzalcoatl. I d- I never know how to pronounce the quit. How do you pronounce the thing that Paul is? The Quetzalcoatl. Uh, Hadarach. Because if it's from, I think that's probably Hebrew, more correct. Then it would be a, then it would be Hadarach. It would be a, a, a sounds uh, more accurate. Sound. <laughs> anyway, in Dune, he's the Kumquat Hagen Dawes, which is much easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I haven't really picked up on there being many words that are from Hebrew in Dune, but I don't know much Hebrew, so. I could just so not be, really you wouldn't my know, my sensor for this just could be not like not very. Hmm. I mean, what do you think, Elle, as like someone who might recognize these things better than I? I mean, I I read two short chapters of this book. That's <laughs> um, true. <laughs> like, because there's a lot of like Arabic descended hmm. words, and Arabic and Hebrew can sound very similar because they're both they have. Sort like, of co-locational. Yeah, they're co-locational and they have similar origins. And like their their writing is also similar because their writing of both Hebrew and Arabic are written uh, right to left, and the vowels go around the consonants. Um, I did I did note one particular weird word in this the couple of chapters we were reading, um, this okay. week, which is schlag, which sounds to me like yeah. German, actually. Um, in what in what context is that? Yeah, what's the sentence? A, a chair made out of um a schlag schlag skin covered chair. Hold schlag on, skin. I feel like it's eighteen, and someone sinks into an old fashioned armchair, and I like just picture like a normal armchair, um, but it's covered oh. in schlag. Oh, it was probably chapter seventeen. That because that's when it might have been uh, um, Jessica Jessica's chair. Yeah, yeah. when she just. Absolutely destroys her words. Oh God, she and didn't death. come to play in these chapters. It was no, so, she, it was she did amazing. not come to play. I'm so glad that I got to be here on the episode where Jessica uses the voice. It's so yeah, great. I'm so glad that you got to be here for Thufa's death. <laughs> I think these are like probably two of the most exciting chapters there have ever been. 
that we have read. Yeah, so far, so for far. sure. Oh, absolutely. In your notes, Ray, mm-hmm. you say it's climactic, and you put climactic in capital letters, and I agree. Yes, I have. For emphasis. Is there is there a bit where we do a, a summary and a quote reading? Yes, it is. We haven't even got there yet. How terrible. As a tribute, would you like to read the quote, the first I'll, quote? I will re- read the first quote. There is no escape. We pay for the violence of our ancestors. From The Collected Sayings of Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Beautifully Thank done. Thank you, Princess Irulan. Thank you, Princess. Um, so this is, this is like the central theme of all of Dune. <laughs> so that's cool that it's here. Um, and I like the fact that it kind of is also the theme of the Oresteia from whence you have the Atreideses, like even now. Ten zillion years later, everyone is still paying for the crimes of their ancestors, obviously. Uh, We'll see whether Paul manages to not. Spoiler, he doesn't. (laughs) I mean, if he... Yeah, if he didn't, you'd think that there wouldn't be very many sequels. No, and there are so many sequels. I'm sorry, I just keep thinking about Pets of Dune. I would love to read Pets of Dune. Um, All gets like a, a... Paul gets a small worm, like you know, and just raises it from from a hatchling. And it's just like a beautiful story of like the love that can happen between men and worms. Yeah. Oh, and it's so beautiful. Well, Ray, do you want to tell us what's in the actual chapter? <laughs> segue, segue. <laughs> Have you seen the like electric scooter that delivers pizza that just says Domino's, 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 Domino's <laughs> what? to like let you know that it's coming? <laughs> Oh, is America just RoboCop now? I'm sorry. Is the <laughs> this is not in America? In this land. is in. Ah. Uh, this is in Europe. in Europe. This is not my fault. No, it's not. Uh-huh. What? Uh huh. No, it is. It is. I'm looking it up. Domino's pizza. It's another. It's in the Netherlands. Future. I mean, I feel like the Netherlands is also a place where the future is happening. Because you know how, like, 2019 is, like, one of the years that sci-fi is set in? Yeah, this is from 2012. Oh, God, what? I can't believe that, you know, like, our concept of historicity is being, like, fastly, like, fastly, sorry. I haven't spoken to anyone all day, so only bad words coming out of my mouth. Um, it's being, it's being, oh, but our, our concept of what is current is being, like, overtaken by... I don't know, reality itself. Everything happens so much. Uh, the things that it says is it says dominoes. Uh, there's uh, a man just going, mmm. There's uh, pizza. And then uh, lecker, which just means tasty. Mm, delicious. <laughs> anyway. So good. Segue, 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 segue. segue. Um, speaking, of, speaking of segue, segue, Ray, would you like to... Uh, Hey, what's up? It's your boy. Ray. Me. That's me. Ray. I'm 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 Ray. And my I've been in hell this week. It's it's good to me. I've been in hell for the past two weeks actually and everything's on fire and I'm on fire and it's great. Um and my brain has been a room full of screams. This episode has had a lot of technical difficulties that have made me cry. But you know what? I'm here and there's gonna be an episode and it's got some good parts. And it's about fifty minutes of our discussion of this chapter, which was the whole discussion of this chapter. 
an almost about 15 minutes towards the end of the podcast which is a little bit more salvageable but still not ideal so what i'm going to do is cut together the bits that are still sort of okay-ish or interesting-ish and we'll see where we go from here you'll take what i give you and you'll like it no matter what so i'm just popping in here to tell you that and also to read the chapter summary for the fourth time i've done many takes of this Jessica is woken up at 2am by noises. She gets out of bed, thinking it might be the Harkonnen attack. She looks on some screens to check the baby Cam and Paul's room, and also to check on Leto because they don't sleep together for some reason. Maybe this is part of his like weird make Jessica feel like shit plan? I don't know. Um, she runs all the way to the source of the noise, and she's like, Whoa, Harkonnen attack! <laughs> but actually it's just Duncan Idaho there, being drunk of his ass and talking in really embarrassing drunk speak. So you and Mapes are there trying to make him drink coffee and t- do stimulants and stuff, but he's such a dickhead that Jessica just has to slap him in the face and then also throw the coffee in his face, and it's good, and we like it. While they're talking, Duncan calls her a damned Harkonnen spy, and she is angry, and she deduces that this must be a Harkonnen plan to make Leto suspect her, which is true. Um, but she doesn't work out who it is, which is a shame. She orders that Duncan be locked up in the house, and then she strides off to her room. Uh, she summons Thufa Hawatch to her living room, where she's sitting with her fingers steepled, uh, glaring at him in the half-light. I don't, that's not actually described, that's just what I imagine. She questions Thufa to find out whether he's a Harkonnen spy himself. She pretty quickly works out that he isn't, but he accuses her, misses the point of literally everything she's saying, while she very astutely diagnoses the situation, and is all around a complete bastard. I really do not like him in this chapter, <laughs> or in the rest of the book. Uh, Jessica continues to be the best. Truly, we stand. They go back and forth until she uses the voice on him, which scares the shit out of him. And then she talks a bit about how she could have hurt or killed or manipulated the Duke years ago. She could have made him marry her. She makes her what look like the absolute fool that he is. And then she turns her back on him and dismisses him. He still suspects her, but she has proven herself ultimately superior and in control and good and the best. And we love her. Goodbye. Good night. I think that was a great summary. Thank you, Ray. Um, Thank you, Ray. And I think that... (laughs) I don't know when it became the culture of the podcast to just thank everybody repeatedly uh, all the time. But uh, it's it's nice, it's polite, civil, I like it. Well, I think this is, this is the part where this is the bit that sort of kicks off the... Um, it's not a very sensible choice for quote, but like Frank has done this before where he's put like a quote at the beginning of a chapter, which would be much better at the beginning of another different chapter. I personally don't think it's hugely clever, but it, this is the bit that kicks off the betrayal, the serious betrayal, the properly inciting. Like it's taken us so long to get an actual inciting incident. The actual thing happens next chapter about um paying for the violence of your ancestors uh and generational violence and retributive retributive retributational killing um please edit that out while i find out what the correct word is um for killing that happens in retribution for something else um but uh no i just think frank wasn't paying attention really that is my decision.
know. I don't. Yeah, I don't really have any have thoughts, have any thoughts. about it because it's like it would make more sense if like the Bene Gesserit had a history and a lineage of doing violence, but it seems like that's not their style. They sort of just kind of um, hang around power and as kind of like gatekeepers of history in a way uh does your do your books have appendix three report on bene gesserit movements and purposes uh i want it to because i haven't even i've only ever looked at the um glossary which has given me so much joy yeah it's right um, before the I've glossary fully ignored everything um. else in history classes and being really enthusiastic about writing my essay and being like ah, I'm, I'm so into this I almost find it funny I want to make a fun joke here about something that I've just noticed exclamation mark teacher please love me um and it's it's a big 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 history student energy um and I like it this is really a this really is a book for nerds appendix one is like the ecology of dune and then there's a map also which i cannot comprehend i think because i think my feeling about the map is that it only shows you the pole right and that because the rest of the planet of arrakis is so hostile and uninhabitable that it hasn't even been cartographed yet by the people who would be in charge of map making. So they just um they just did the bit that they knew. Um and it's a circle because it's a pole so that we as people who aren't familiar with cartography can conceptualize that it's a pole. Um and yeah, I mean, I wonder who drew this. Yeah. Dorothy de Fontaine. It says at the bottom of my I think because Ray, Ray and I were texting about this. Um, I think because we had identified that we had a, <laughs> you know, in the 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 early Wild West days of this podcast, we had a, we have a, a chronic crosstalk problem where we do not give each other space to. Well, we did not give each other space to like expand on each other's ideas, and we weren't listening to each other. We were just being like yelling. Um, and it was fast-paced and furious and terrible. Um, and now we've decided to give everyone lots of room to I- I- expand on and have their voice be heard and everything. And it's nice and it's wonderful. <laughs> and it's also like making my brain hurt. Being, like, uh, being, being compassionate about this is like very difficult, actually. <laughs> Um, and sort of makes you feel like a nerd because I'm like, do you have anything to say no? Do you? No. Okay. All right, great. <laughs> like a, a very uh, uh, Mark Jacobs sack, but it's like party sack. Uh, love. I mean, this is one of the few. I mean, I suppose I should save this until we talk about next chapter. But Mapes, Mapes, Mapes is no more. 
by the end of the next chapter. So it's only a short time with Mapes and yet so precious. Shout out to Mapes. <laughs> the last the last shout out. I don't know why Frank Herbert thinks that when people die, they just put ellipses between all of their words. <laughs> it's like, I am, my life is fading. Ah, the tooth. No, sorry. <laughs> I just, no, I should really shut up because I love the tooth and I want to talk about the tooth only. Only the tooth from now on. Should I do a demonstration of the drunk speech? Oh, please. I would love for you to. It's going to be very bad. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I take no pleasure in doing this. This is strictly for the purposes of illustration. <laughs> Killed more than 300 men for the Duke, he muttered. What a, what a no. <laughs> is, <laughs> I can't do it. What I want to know is why a mere can't live under the ground here can't live under the ground here what kind of place is this huh so that's that's that i like that he is from the west country when he is drunk turns into a farmer farmer and that's very nice um and he calls he calls dr ua a splint and pill man <laughs> which is a uh fun word for a doctor also i like the fact that they still have 2 a.m like everyone <laughs> yeah what i like is that uh jessica's clock hasn't been adjusted to local time so she has to subtract 21 minutes which <laughs> how long have they been on the planet that she hasn't reset her clock and also what planet was she on that has the same day length but is off <laughs> to 21 minutes <laughs> This is like, ah, yes, her quick Ben Gessard brain was able to subtract 21 minutes from the time it showed on the clock. I mean, I, one of the things that I do appreciate and actually find really fascinating about reading this is that in some ways, the technology that we have now is has outpaced Frank's ability to imagine what future technology is like. But uh, like when I when when you go on a plane and you go to France and then it's one hour forward in France, your phone knows it just does it. I, I, but also when he talks about manufacturing film base, it's not digital. It really is. It's like, it's like um, you know, like a reel of film. To me, that is bananas that he can, con he can sort of conceive of the necessity to flood the places with propaganda, etc. And, you know, there would be screens and things, but it would all be, you know, it wouldn't be digital. Like, for me, that is like a brain bender. Has anybody worn goggles? Oh, I bet the uh, the spice miners wear goggles. Oh yeah. When the Duke flies his thopter, I bet he puts on goggles. Fuck, is Dune steampunk? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Dune steampunk. Completely revolutionized my understanding of the aesthetics of Dune. I'm Google searching. David Lynch is a coward. 
the 1984 June movie, Steampunk or No? No, definitely not Steampunk. Dune can still be called Steampunk or Neo-Steampunk, which I don't know what the fucking Neo-Steampunk <laughs> means. <laughs> fucking internet people making up new genres don't make any sense. I feel like seeing Dunko Dunks Dunk <laughs> Dunks like a truck. But do you know do you know that song? Anyway, um I just I really feel I I really like seeing him in this uh, sort of uncontrolled cuz he's a very buttoned up type of character. Like I would understand if Gurney Halleck indulged a smidge too much in the spice wine and got a bit rowdy. Spice beer. Um, but uh, to see Duncan like this is actually quite revealing in a way because all the things that he he just keeps the territory that he sort of treads over and over again is the fact that he is loyal to the Duke. He's killed so many people for the Duke. Like his his life is his work, even when he is stripped down to this like level of inhibition. Like it must have been so awful for them to all have to uproot themselves and go to this new planet. And have to just try and make it work. Uh, and he's he is upset. I, I like how they sober him up with slaps and coffee. Same. <laughs> and putting coffee in his face. <laughs> like, come on. Uh, it's like, it's a tale as old as... T- it's a time-honored tradition. Coffee, slapping. <laughs> this, is, this is also the chapter where we find out that Jessica is pregnant. Yes. Uh-huh. She has brought forth a female child. Mm. Yes. Uh, shall I play my trump? Shall I tell him of the Duke's daughter I've carried within me the f- these few weeks? No. Leto himself doesn't know. This would only complicate his life, divert him at a time when he must concentrate on our survival. There is yet time to use this. Which is there. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think it's also like a very 1965 dude thing to assume that, oh, yes, women will use their... <laughs> pregnancies against men in their relationships are <laughs> see her her benegesserate training has, has taught her <laughs> sense this new presence inside her body ah It's all about empathy and emotional intelligence and social intelligence in a way that it's also very much, ah, women are like this and men are like this. But also, I really love it and I think it's great. So even if there is latent sexism in the whole situation, I, you know, I feel bad about it, but not that bad. There is a discussion later on in the chapter, again, skipping around, and I am sorry, um, is, uh, the... Blue blah. Sorry, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. No, I haven't. Um, there's a there's a uh, a distinctions are drawn between um natural humans uh, and uh humans that have these augmented uh out- outlooks on on life, augmented mental abilities. So the mentats and the the bees to the g's. Um, and I don't know. There is. They are kind of aware of the fact that the whole thing isn't quite 
you know, the normal experience of life. How the projection of logic onto all affairs is unnatural, um, but suffered by the people who do it to continue for its use for its usefulness. It's great. I mean, I love anything to do with um, mentat stuff in this. That has been my most favorite thing in reading Dune is finding out about mentats and these sort of these altered states of being, essentially. I think you said this in a previous episode. If you if you just let me talk, then I'll talk forever. And I'll just keep coming up with things to say, but they'll just decrease in, in quality. Um. Uh, the, the thing I have to say is that this, this book is actually from 1977, but the copyright page was confusing. So uh-huh. I'm just correcting correcting myself there it is the fort it was from the 14th printing wow the 14th edition of this book i mean i think i probably underestimated how popular dune was in its heyday mm-hmm. um selected in a reader's poll in 1975 as the greatest novel of imagination of all time <laughs> i like that again sort of slightly wonky uh, classification. Oh yes, of all of the novels of imagination <laughs> that we we have, all of those famous novels of imagination. <laughs> the stuff that I have to say isn't like really like plot or metatextural related or anything, but a phrase that comes up a lot is that people try to swallow in a dry throat Ugh. and he uses it at least twice in these two chapters and these chapters aren't very long no one of them's a tiny weenie chapter i just i really think that it's like frank's sort of emotional lexicon is very limited um which is kind of what gives the book its power in a way and that he he kind of has to concentrate everything down to these very few um, shorthand for these very specific intense emotions uh, and anything else is kind of just sort of lukewarm and watery and doesn't really you know it's only in the service of building this this unbelievable world and the politics of it etc um the the emotions aren't the main point of this book but also it just it just speaks to I'm, I keep saying this throughout this podcast recording. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just very mad about the fact that Frank is a normal, boring, like, just, he's just a dude. He's a dude. He's, a, he's just a guy. And he's clearly, I mean, you know, it, I think your your definition of genius is, like, very sad if... You think that the, from from the evidence of this, I think he's just about as good as J.K. Rowling, and I mean that in a cutting way. <laughs> Shout out, Mapes was a lesbian, and no, I I think that if he had a Twitter, he would mostly argue with people who say that global warming isn't real. Well, that's. One good thing about Frank is that he was very prescient about climate crisis. Yes. I hate the fact that 
because he says wet stain again in the in the other chapter and i hate <laughs> wet stain as like a shorthand for a wound because i'm like it could be anything it could be anything yeah, yeah i'm just... i'm pretty sure that she's that uh like it's specified like a few sentences later that the wet stain is made of blood like you could have just said that <laughs> she's just getting right up on him to sniff his wet arm stain <laughs> oh I wonder what this wet stain could be comprised of it's me Jessica God. I've got a super nose as part of my Bene Gesserit skills the Bene Gesserit way the way of the nose the, like you know you have voice with a capital V you've got a sniff Bene Gesserit sniff <laughs> It just, I just was assuming that he drooled, maybe, or <laughs> when I have a wet patch on my sleeve, it's usually because I've spilled something. Yeah. Or I've fallen asleep, you know? Because I'm Frank Herbert, secretly, um, like all the good characters in this, the self-insert, um, different so this is a quote from dune uh with two o's you must not lose step the girl said her voice was laugh filled with lilt song her new speak big mouth smile faced with happy talk <laughs> oh yes I'm also there. while we're talking about quotes from dune uh i have to read my favorite one which will it will come later in June, but this is uh, Paul explaining what the Kumquat Hagen does is. <laughs> and uh, I look, Spilgard, there are two forces in all human beings, the yes force and the no force. I am he who uh, knows this. Spilgard made a face of purest puzzlement, said, but you have now told me, does that make me a Kumquat Hagen does too? No, Paul said. <laughs> And then walked away. <laughs> this is something that my family quotes with some regularity. <laughs> this is the household I have grown up in. And what a household. What a privilege. Paul, gay depression, Atreides. Our baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Paul, Paul has never been depressed. He's never had a feeling. That's a symptom of depression. <laughs> maybe Paul is depressed. Maybe maybe Paul is more relatable than we know. Yeah, like, it seems like he's had a lot of pressure put on him. And he seems... I would say Paul is me, based on that description. He feel, he seems kind of, like, disconnected from his environs. Hmm. Yeah, I... I do feel... I do find Paul... Not that there's any Paul in this chapter... But we've got to mention our sweet boy when we have the chance. He was he was asleep. He was asleep on the baby monitor. <laughs> oh yes, of course he was. He is a fifteen year old boy. What what I was thinking is I've been watching these streams on YouTube of tiny kittens. It's the tiny kitten streams. So they have little cameras set up in like the the nests where the cats are, so that the the people who take care of the kittens like know if something's wrong without having to like go out there and check on them. And I was just thinking of there just being a bunch of cameras set up like that, and there's just like a live stream. 
<laughs> Jessica just checks in. Yeah. Paul got tiny like several different Atreides. My son. Paul needs Paul needs friends. Paul needs Paul needs physical contact. Yeah, somebody let Paul like go to college, but like a party college, the college where planet. he could like let loose a little bit. <laughs> Oh god, oh Paul is a god. teen dad. Paul is a teen dad and has like a two girlfriends. <laughs> Polyamorous teen dad. It's like the bit in 30 Rock where Jack Donaghy does all all however many stages of grief in in not point one seconds. And it's like, oh, you can't see it, but it did happen. It like it's pretends to slow it down and Alec Baldwin just does all these faces so good <laughs> this one for all my 30 Rock fans anyway um, yeah uh, are we done with this one I think there's so much juice in this one can we just like have a Jessica quote off because she's so great She's so good. If I desired a puppet, the Duke would marry me. He might even think he did it of his own free will. Fucking yes, Jessica. Yes, Jessica. <laughs> um, is she? A, she's she's mildly a, a uh, like dummy in this. It's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, there's her. She uh t- says the stuff about how Duncan got drunk, and then uh uh. Thufir is like, you have your reports, my lady. And Jessica says, so do I. Don't you see this drinking as a symptom, Thufir? My lady speaks in riddles. Apply your mentatabilities to it, she snapped. <laughs> Stop being dumb, please. <laughs> He's not one now. He's a 15-year-old who knows nothing. When he becomes a Paul Humanman. Um, because Paul, Paul, my other favorite part of Dune with two O's is, yeah, Paul defeats somebody in, in combat and uh, the woman was pointing at Paul. This outranked my husband, this boy child. He'd be more than that. Man child, she said grudgingly, more. Boy man, less. Baby man, man boy, boy boy. <laughs> Paul stepped forward and Jazika heard the regret overtones and I'm terribly sorry harmonics in his voice. I, teen boy, you guy, the woman said with narrowed eyes. Guy man. <laughs> You're close, Spellguard said. Let him be known as teen man and there be an end to it. <laughs> That's beautiful. Oh, we can't be done. We haven't even really, really, really dug into the um, um, the the whole the voice discourse. We've got to at least talk about the voice. The voice is what my mom, my mom, like called me downstairs once when I was in high school and was like, "Okay, I need you. I need to like know that you know how to say like no firmly to somebody." And I was like, okay. And the example she gave of how to do that was the Bene Gesserit voice. And she pulled up a clip from the Dune movie. 
<laughs> That's amazing. That is unbelievable. Because I read a lot of science fiction as fantasy as a child, which means that I read a lot of like classic fantasy, which is mostly written by British authors. Uh-huh. Uh, so I read a lot of like fantasy novels about British children going on adventures, uh-huh. <laughs> including you... five children in it. <laughs> we also read those books just without, you know, like without the because I feel like the, the fantasy version of that is like one step removed from the original version, which is just five children go on adventures to the seaside and that's it there's like and they meet a pirate and they love the police and they hate crimes it's very authoritarian if you actually think about Enid Blyton whatsoever I mean I really like the fact that Thufir is very freaked out by the fact that it takes away his volition, like what, like utterly. Uh, his muscles betray him. He sits back in the chair without really even having time to know why he was doing it, and like he gets freaked out by the fact that oh, does every human have this thing, this um <clears throat> V spot, if you will, um that can make you, I don't know, just like mindlessly obey someone who is using the voice on you. Um, and how powerful it is. Uh, and then he's like, well, why don't you guys rule the world? Exactly. <laughs> it, it's like, well, we can't just do it. We have to, to be the hand that moves in the shadows, etc. Because that's the trope. And if we weren't to obey the trope, then would we even still be in <laughs> June, the sci-fi novel? Mm. And also I exist to serve because I just do. For reasons, but it's a it's a it's a double meaning. It has a duplicate meaning in that you expect it to be. Well, Thufir understands it as one, maybe, and she understands it as the other. I mean, like the end goal of the Bene Gesserit is to create to do this the human selective breeding program to get the Kwisatz Haderach. So I don't know what their plan is after that. I mean, I, I the guess they haven't really says. thought about it after that. It's like, it's like what would happen if, if the second coming happened? What then? <laughs> well, all of those people who have, all those people who had signed up to make sure that their pets get taken care of by all the Jews and Muslims and sinners who aren't going to be taken up to heaven, huh? they get their pets taken care of and their money's worth. <laughs> Is that a thing? Is that real? Uh-huh. Yeah. This is like Jews and Muslims take care of your pets when you get raptured and they don't. Yeah, it's like you can, uh, at least I'm pretty sure it's a thing. I have definitely heard of it being a thing. I, I don't know if it's a thing that Jews people sign Muslims up for. who are involved are making a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, really like, so. hey, I'll sign up to take care of your dog when this thing that's not going to happen happens. Sure. <laughs> like, fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> And also, I'm sorry I have Christianity on the brain. I work for the church, so I always have Christianity on the brain. I think oh my that- God. Hmm? No, um, so I'm, I'm looking at the appendix okay. about the, the report on Bene Gesserit motives and purposes. Uh-huh. Uh, da, da, da. So there were other indications that a wild variable had entered the Bene Gesserit scheme that they ignored. So one, Paul can tell the future. Uh, two... 
when Paul got the did the test with the showing humanity, uh, which I don't remember what it's called. When that happened, uh, she deposes that he summoned sur- surmounted more agony in the test than any other human of record. Yet she failed to make special note of this in her report! Exclamation point. <laughs> I like um, how the appendices cute. are very liberal with exclamation marks. Like, I was looking at the back when I was trying to find the, the appendix that you were reading from, Elle, and there's there's one in the appendix two that is just like on its own line, um, in all caps, <laughs> space travel, exclamation mark. Oh yeah, I saw that. It's very good. Arrakis uh, uh, inevitably produces a high proportion of sensitivities it doesn't say what that means mm-hmm. um uh the the reaction and the obvious element of the iraqi diet high in spice were glossed over um then when uh the harkonnens take over which they're going to soon and paul and his mom disappear uh people just ignored that very shortly after that the fremen were killing a prophet <laughs> they just like like, oh, I bet these two things are unrelated. <laughs> I know. They're like, oh, that probably doesn't mean anything. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, I was going to say, if you have, do you have, um, what is his name of the helpful robot who records your No, podcast? we do not have the helpful robot, Craig. He does not come Craig. into private chats. Oh, no, Craig. Craig. I know. Um, but I wanted to say about the end of this chapter. Oh, can I, can I just <gasps> say something about Matadors? That's what I was going to talk about. Like, because it's the closing, it's the closing note of the chapter. Um, she sort of, <sighs> I found it quite interesting. Like, she turns her back on him and I took, so I took a while to like write some notes about it because it, it sort of, it telegraphs this like kind of invulnerability. She's like, I'm turning my back on you because you cannot hurt me because I, I'm making myself vulnerable because I know that I am, superior to you and that you you can't hurt me then she says you may go now through fear and it's very cool and she and then frank goes on to like very specifically say like ah she was the matador <laughs> and Thufir was the ball and the old duke could turn back on the horns cape thrown flamboyant over one arm while cheers rained down from the crowd the bull that killed like, him is this this is the yeah. incident that we're talking about Right. Yeah, yeah, that's the the one that they have like up on the wall, right? Yeah, that's right? still covered yeah. in blood. Yes, still covered in blood. It seems like it'd be a health hazard. <laughs> Do you think they have health and safety in June? Well, no one appears to be very healthy or safe. That's all I'm saying. Do they have germ theory? I don't know. I I like the fact I like the idea that um, uh, the noble the head of this noble house wanted to be bull wanted to bullfight for <laughs> recreational purposes. I know, so and like, it killed him. And it killed him. And he wanted to wear a matador costume, which is extremely stupid. Dun, 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 dun. <sighs> like the tight pants, the flipping gold and the bits. The cape and the embroidery and the flamboyance. Yes. Like, okay. Love it. Also, I, the, 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 the text refers to the day of the corrida. Which I had to look up. I looked up in the back first of all because I am adult. Um, but uh, a corrida is actually the Spanish word for a bullfight, and it's only tangentially related. Um, Do you wrestle with dreams? Do you contend with shadows? Do you move in a kind of sleep? Time has slipped away. Your life is stolen. You t- tarried with trifles, victim of your folly. 
dirge for Jamis on the funeral plane from Songs of Maud Deeb by the Princess Irulan. Okay, now let me tell you who Jamis Which, is because this is yes, important actually. So Jamis, so you know that you know you know you know the thing that you were talking about, Al, where it was like boy, 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 man, man boy, uh-huh. child, man. Yeah. Um. So that oh, was, was that him. So that's yeah. That's the scene where Paul kills his first man. So oh. I found that really interesting that it was firstly that it was put here in the chapter where his where that begins the death of his father, and then you know like yeah. Oh, so you wrote a funeral dirge for this guy. Um. Songs of Mardit. So I think this was someone that... Uh, I think somebody wrote a funeral dirge for this guy. Okay. Like, as it's part not of like... the celebration of Mardit's life. But okay. um, we'll get there, like, when we come to it. But I, the way that he responds to this this guy's death is really interesting. Um, and, um, yeah, I found, it, I found it really cool that Jameis showed up this early when he he sort of does appear so, so many... So many pages later in the book and also james is in the book for like a chapter and a half but continues <laughs> to have a really huge effect on paul's entire life so yeah i was like i don't know what this has to do specifically with this chapter but i was like "Ooh, james is here this is really cool this is really interesting yeah because i i wasn't sure if songs of modi was like a book of songs that he'd written because he's been like you know tutored by a song person or if it's like a a fun sing-along <laughs> it's like more deep the musical yeah but also the thing so so when when james is killed when he kills james um the thing that they do um the rest of the tribe because he does it in front of the tribe because james challenges him and then they have a ritual where before they they take James's water back from the tribe, they a bunch of people say, "I was a friend of James, bloody blah, blah, that's why we were close." And then they take something of his. So, um, so a few people do that, and then everyone's like waiting for Paul to do it, and Paul's just like, "What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't fucking know this guy." <laughs> but the thing that Paul takes is a ballast. So maybe he does sing this song. Maybe he oh. does sing this song. I do not know who Jameis is. I was pronouncing his name Jamis. <laughs> I was all, Jamis. you know, come on and slamis and welcome to the well, etc. Welcome to the Jamis. The Jamis. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the only reason I have any familiarity with the overarching plot of Dune is because I read Dune, which hits most of the same plot points, <laughs> and it is much shorter. <laughs> anyway, now we can talk about the Didn't chapter. they cast someone really sexy as Jamis? Oh, yeah, actually, I found this, this is another thing that I wanted to talk about, which is why I underlined Jameis like six times. So they cast a very beautiful black man for Jameis, who was the only, so the only two dark-skinned black people on the cast for June 2020 are Jameis and Jameis's wife. So it's really cool, it's really cool and good how the only, like, dark-skinned black person gets immediately owned by a 15-year-old white boy and then dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the only the only other person is his wife who then gets treated like a trophy and well he's like baseline nice to her in an incredibly sexist way and like the way that she's written is a bit like oh yikes. So yeah, yeah, it's like oh Good. 
I love this. Thank you. <laughs> kind of one of the reasons that I feel almost relieved that Frank is too much of a coward to acknowledge anyone's actual race. Yeah. Um, it's because all of the racial dynamics would be so bad. I mean, but, but he does signify race he signifies in it, his but he writing of people. He doesn't get so they're still real bad. <laughs> yeah, like the his like wink wink nudge nudge hey i'm gonna use some dog whistles <laughs> and not say any real words look at the nose shape on this guy it's like ah oh, yes his olive toned skin his glistening dark hair oh he's a brown <laughs> does have fucked up racial dynamics now let us talk about this. Actually, we should do the summary. Who wants to summarize this chapter? It's your turn, is it not? It is my turn. It is not. But I, uh, I, um, I just am very unprepared for this. I'm actually caught on the back foot slightly. Um, okay, so, uh, Leto is, like, this is a very tension-y chapter. It's about four pages long. It's very short. Um, and it's very atmospheric and... Leto is standing alone in the foyer of his house um, and he's reading a, a cryptic message about something being a column of snow. He's read, he reads a cryptic message, we can get into it later. Um, and he's tired out and his pills are wearing off and he has internal monologues uh, about um, Duncan and Jessica and who he should trust and oh, everything's very complex and dramatic um and so he hears a strange mewling uh from a corridor uh and he kind of turns down the corridor uh, and it's dark and whatever and he sees dull blobs he sees a total of two dull blobs um two whole dull blobs. Uh, both of whom are dying or dead humans uh so mm -hmm. he finds tuek who has a wet stain on his chest and appears to be dead ah. Um, classic wet stain. Got a wet stain. Classic wet stain. <laughs> um, and you know he the mewling is still happening, so he goes and follows the mewling, and he sees him the grey blob, and the grey blob is still alive, and it's person, and it is our our beloved, our beloved, uh the most valuable player. Shout out Mapes, um, who is who's also suffering from dark stain disease, wet stain disease, <laughs> um. And she's talking with lots of ellipses, which means she's dying. And she dies because she's been stabbed in the back. A bit on the nose, Frank, actually. Um, and so... Oh, no. Uh, it's Yue. Uh, and Yue is, is here. And dun, dun, dun. he's bad now. Um have and an incredibly he has an incredibly a homoerotic villain experience. They have like a homoerotic experience. Really <laughs> it's very gay. Yeah. So um so later uh, uh Leto finds himself paralyzed um because he's been shot by a little dart gun by, by UA. Um and UA does uh, a big monologue about um uh, the poison that he's given the Duke and the Duke has feelings of the effect of the poison um, and kind of I don't know it just has he does have this um, big evil monologue about how oh well I really really want to kill somebody but it's not you it's the Baron Harkonnen um, and the tooth so there's a tooth that um, 
you ate put in the duke's mouth when he lost one presumably uh, in a battle which is filled with um uh poison gas no no that he replaced a tooth after the duke fell in battle and what he's going to do oh, he's replaced is it when again. the duke is unconscious is is swap it's that tooth with a poison tooth come now my darling duke i'm putting in your special tooth <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's it's wonderful it's weird it's it sexy. sexy it's bizarre um uh and what what he essentially um imagines that leto will do with the tooth is when he gets in a room with the baron and he looks almost dead or he looks dead and he's almost dead um is that because the poison is selective because it's the future and you can do that um uh, he'll bite down on the tooth and the tooth will expel its poison gas and then he can blow the poison gas out into the room and kill the Baron. Um, and that's the only way that, that Yue could actually get close enough to kill the Baron. Um, and uh, Leto is like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> why have you done this? Um, uh, why should I do this for you, essentially? Um and later says, I'll protect your boy and your woman. Um, your woman. And uh, and then he says, goodbye, my poor duke. When we next meet, we'll have no time for conversation. <laughs> In a very Bond villainy kind of way. Um, and then he says, remember the tooth? The tooth. And then that's, that's the it. The tooth and nothing but the tooth. The last word the of the tooth. chapter is the tooth. I love the, the tooth. emphasis on the tooth, if in yes. case you haven't guessed. Remember the tooth. There's something very, very funny to me about the tooth. The tooth. The tooth. Um, so what do you think this note means? A column of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night. Is it a warning for what's literally just about to happen? Does it mean something else in the larger context? Is it just some cryptic nonsense that's supposed to sound deep? What do you think? Sounds vaguely Old mm-hmm. Testament-y. Oh, maybe I'll Google the phrase. Um, I, don't, I, I bet it's not in the Old Testament, but I think anything being a column of blank or a pillar of blah is very bible Um I feel like, you know, a column, of, a column of smoke points to something bad being about to happen. The pillar of fire is the bad thing that then happens, right? <laughs> it is from Exodus. Oh! So it is literally Bible. Oh, it's a little bit. It's a little bit changed from Exodus, but it's pretty similar. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Okay, so that sort of signifies that it's about guiding or being guided somewhere. Mm. I'm not sure why, though. I don't know because the only the only person who would be able to. The only person who would be apt about doing the guiding would be the baby Paul. Uh, well, no. This note is from a Fremen messenger, and I think the Fremen know that like something is going to happen. Something's up. Yeah, something. Why do the Fremen have the Bible? I don't really know. I think I don't think that this is a specific reference from them to the Bible, but I think it's. Like Frank doing something that the viewer is supposed to recognize. I think Frank is just borrowing the very sort of epic sounding, prophecy sounding, yeah, language. But also, but also a lot of the Fremen, their language and their sort of their 
mythology and their belief system is focused around stuff that has been implanted into their culture by the Bene Gesserit, who do use a lot of Bible stuff. So it might be something yeah. from that. I don't think I don't think it's a I don't think it's an allusion to a specific thing. I think it's just Bibliness. Like truthiness, like it's you just sort of feel like it's prophecy, it's because it's prophecy words, even yeah. though it's not, you know. Yeah, but what do you think it's supposed to mean here in this context? What is it supposed to narratively? What is it doing? It's supposed to be oblique. It's supposed yeah. to be. You're not supposed to really get what it is. Yeah. But I don't know that the only thing that I can think of is that it is a a a, a callback to the you know, prophecy-filling potential of the Duke's son. Mm. Well, that would make sense, actually, yeah. If, we're, if we are going back to the relevance of that biblical Exodus quote, Asian, or is it just, uh, oh, uh, by the way, we've noticed that shit's going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> Best Watch out, guard, but in Duke the most later. cryptic way possible. One thing I want to say about this chapter is that, like, um, Leto's like, why is Tuick here? How come he's here? And obviously, Ch- well, Jessica wanted Tuick, like, she invited him to the dinner party because she was like, okay, this man can get this off Arrakis so quickly and he's our way out. Um, and obviously she invited him there at that time to summon them to get them out because she knew that something was going to happen. But in, in, uh, a beautiful moment of dramatic irony, um, you know, he is killed before Leto even has the chance to realise that Jessica has realised and what's going to happen and stuff. Have we run into any female characters in this book who aren't Bene Gesserit or Fremen? No. Well, we have the wives and girlfriends and escorts of... <laughs> You've got the got dinner party guests. Who are all, you know, Frank just implies that they're women of loose morals and they're either idiots or seductresses. Yeah, Frank has like no regard for any of the women that he writes at the dinner scene. I'm honestly devastated that Mapes is dead. Yeah. yeah. I really wanted to know more about her and enjoy her. But also I do want to see in the film, you know, just like the the actor whose name I don't remember... Um, but who is very... I should find out, actually. It's only respectful. Um, but that actor, cradling Oscar Isaac's head and just murmuring to him, ah, my lovely weapon, my dear Duke, and things of that sort. It's a, it's a My Beautiful Mephistopheles moment. Um, I'm looking for the person who plays UA, and, Tillamy, and I just came across Timothy Chalamet and his devious little face. and Timothée Chalamet. Yes, Timothée Chalamet. And I'm a little bit concerned. Also, David David Dust Dalmatians is a very good pizza, I think. I think he looks great. I like him. I don't I can't get I can't get with I I I can't. Okay. I'm sorry. Fine. Um for me it is uh what's his name or nobody? What is his name? Original pieces of rides. None of us know or care. Anyway, Chan Cheng plays Yue and he's very cool looking and I look forward to him killing. (laughs) Or like uh, sedating the Duke. I think this is a moment that people should 
be able to write fan fiction about. I just if if it turns out the staging is not sufficiently gay, I'll be very very disappointed. I will have to write a stern letter. There's a point in this chapter where, okay, so I think Hua is supposed to say be saying goodbye, but it's spelled good and then bye is and just by. And for some reason, my brain is like, ah, good be. <laughs> Ray, I think that might be a misprint in your book because in mine it definitely does say goodbye. Oh, like in the normal way. Looking oh up. my god! Have to try. Um, I wanted to say a little tiny small amount about um Leto, not Leto, um Yue's pyretic conscience. So the reason that Jessica has ruled continuously ruled out Yue as being the person who is going to kill or going to do the bad thing, be the traitor, um, the viper in the midst, etc., is um because his imperial conditioning uh as uh He's a graduate of the Souk School. The graduate of the Souk School. The Souk School and... with two C's <laughs> the Souk uh uh, but he he as a as a particular subject of uh, imperial conditioning cannot do some things, um, and so killing Leto and betraying the um, Atreideses would be one of the things that he would be unable to do for some reason, for imperial conditioning reasons, secret reasons. Um, but he says uh, in his um. Uh, like supervillain speech he says I'm sorry my dear duke but there are things which will make greater demands than this he touched the diamond tattoo on his forehead which is a souk school thing I think I find it very strange myself an override on my pyretic conscience but I wish to kill a man um also I mean I feel like isn't isn't the imperial conditioning it's sort of like the um, Hippocratic Oath, in that as a doctor, he's not allowed to do certain stuff. Yeah, apart from it's just programmed into him. Yeah, instead of it, him having any actual volition. Um, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing, poetic consciousness. And it is conscience, and it is in the back. Uh, and it says, so-called conscience of fire, that inhibitory level touched by imperial conditioning, see imperial conditioning, which doesn't help in terms of learning what it is, but it is a cool phrase. Um, uh, and I think we might have already read the definition of imperial conditioning in a previous episode, but I'm going to go again because it's good. Uh, a development of the Sook Medical Schools, the highest conditioning against taking human life. Initiates are marked by a diamond tattoo on the forehead and are permitted to wear their hair long and bound by a silver Sook ring. And also the way, the way that he um, decides to... Uh, kill to, to to do his bad things. He doesn't fully all the way kill the duke. Yes, he only sets the duke up to be killed. To be killed, and then also to kill the Baron Harkonnen. Yes. So, so and whoever else happens to be in the room with them. So it's actually very clever what he's done, and yeah. that he manages to still be able to to not obey. actually actively be killing anybody, only mm. sort of secondhand be killing somebody. Secondhand, secondhand killing. Secondhand murder. <laughs> murder by proxy. It is a very short chapter. It is a short despite chapter. it 
despite something very exciting happening in it, there's not a lot to yeah. say. I really I liked think. it. I loved the suspense. I loved the sort of homoerotic energy that it had. Um, <laughs> I loved uh, the way that uh, Yue spoke. I didn't really like the way that he portrayed because some of it was like, you know, the good old Frank racism coming, swimming back up to the surface. But in general, I, I really liked the chapter. Uh, I will miss Leto when he goes. Yeah, I'll miss him. <sighs> there doesn't seem to, there are two fix of uh, Leto and Duncan Idaho, but it doesn't seem like there's any of Duncan and UA. Do you have one Um, I don't have one ready to go. <laughs> I have I have a worm of the week. Oh please! So I have a friend from college named emily uh this is i have two friends from college named emily uh this is the one who was not also uh, an artist in the friends of the table fandom uh and she is very insistent that people stop and rescue earthworms if they come across them on their way on the sidewalk so i was walking up from class last month and i rescued an earthworm in her honor and that's my worm of the week Yay. That's lovely. That's good. What does a this good world, worm. Does this, earthworm have a name? this earthworm doesn't have a name, but was uh, reluctant to squirm onto my fingers so I could get them off of the sidewalk and into the grass where it is safer. Yeah. Um, doesn't know what's good, good for them. So it took me a few minutes of like crouching on the sidewalk to rescue this worm. That is so nice of you. Yeah. And it's so pleasant. It's very, it's extremely pleasant. I would never voluntarily touch That's a worm, worm, even for a good reason. <laughs> Why? Why not? They they just live in the slimy, dirt. Slimy boys. Slimy boys. They're not slimy. What, what lithery boys? What do they feel like if they're not slimy? Maybe they're more slimy when they're newly out of the dirt, but when you're rescuing a worm on the sidewalk, they usually just kind of feel a little bit like like they've got a little bit of give oh. to them, which is scary because you don't want to hurt them. Um, Squidgy boys. But like, so does your skin. Oh, I don't so. even like my skin though, L. Okay. <laughs> there comes a day when you realize that you are you were a person with human skin. <laughs> it's true. Today is that day. <laughs> the most terrible day. Um, good worm. Good worm. Good worm of the week. And good being of the week. Yeah. Good worm to ye. Good, good worm, worm to ye. My worm of the week. My worm of the week is long furby. <laughs> <laughs> now we wait for the image to load. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, Ray and um, I had a discussion yesterday where we were trying to choose our worms of the week and we had a discussion about what kind of an animal a Furby is. <laughs> we weren't sure whether a Furby was a bird or a mammal. We also were trying to decide whether or not the bird was an opposite to a worm, in which case one Furby couldn't possibly be a worm. But then also, look at her. She's beautiful. <laughs> she is beautiful. We love her. She's... 
she's so she's oh god that's this is a bad place the world oh, is a bad place wonderful. if it contains she's long furbies. I love her. Oh, she's very good. She's our friend. We love, we love long um, furbies. I was, I was very scared of furbies in my childhood. And I'm pleased to know that I'm on the right side of history <laughs> and that public opinion has borne out the feeling that furbies are actually eldritch creatures of the damned Let and shouldn't exist. Our world's collective fear of furbies is not born from the stout, fluffy bodies of those ostensible in quotation marks, toys, but rather their dead, piercing eyes, the likes of which promise to emerge dimly from the dark when one turns off a light. Their self-comfort, perhaps, in knowing their whirring robot brains can be reprogrammed to our liking, but it's undeniable that they find power in numbers. This has prompted the frightened to destroy every Furby they can find, be it via water jet, hydraulic press, or blistering hot ball of nickel. These have links to them, so I imagine that the links lead to proof. The threat of destruction, however, has simply simply prodded the Furby to evolve. Like a resident evil zombie, the humble creation is taking on new, stranger forms. There's Fatty Furby, for example, but more prominent is Long Furby. He seems to be enrapturing Twitter's Furby cognoscenti while instilling a simmering dread in outsiders with its twisted Cronenbergian ref on the Furby form. <sighs> oh... Good night. Have a long furby good night sleeping before I go to bed. And there's some beautiful images of long furby here. Because long furby has a beak, and beaks are usually associated with birds, and birds are kind of worm opposites because they live in the sky and they consume the worm. They live in the sky and they eat the worms. Yeah, brown nature of the original furby made it easy to love. Trading that for the serpentine torso of the long furby, which feels poised to curl around your neck at any time, as a dash of menace to the creature. The Furby community, however, assures you that there is nothing to fear. I'm still discovering her quirks as I go. Aloe, the long Furby's mad creator, told Weiss, going on to clarify the creature's mythology, which unfolds thusly. As the mother of her race, she is a woman, although Aloe says all Furbies are non-binary and can choose their own pronouns. She weighs 15 ounces and is 3 feet and 2 inches long. She is 2 weeks old and already a divisive internet celebrity, Inspiring baby cues from cues from one side of the web and screams of horror from the other. She loves gardening, pizza, and hot dogs. She is part of a family of twenty-one other regular-length furbies, including a black and pink one named Punky, a crowned queen named Big Deal, and an orange one named Pumpkin Spice Latte. Fans can buy their own love furby for eighty dollars plus shipping. Vice reports that as of now, the witness to buy a custom long furby is more than thirty-five orders deep. So that number's probably written at this point. It tells you where to buy, buy a long furby. That's the end of the article. But I think it's very important that we all know about and respect long furbies. And if you look, if you click on the website that I sent you, there are several other pictures of other long furbies for you to enjoy. I, I, keep, I, I don't Google image search long furby because you get weird, very horrible This one things. is in a knot. Furby that's holding a knife. <laughs> a furby in the shape of a pentagram. <laughs> furby with hands. It's all very bad. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like it. I'm not into it. No. What's your worm of the week? My worm of the week is also a thing that's upsetting and bad. I don't like. <laughs> um, what is it? It is um, slugs. Oh, I like. Why don't you like slugs? What's your problem with slugs? 
Well, I had a bad experience with slugs. That was out in the garden. <laughs> that means she touched one once and then she was so upset that she had Ray, to go I was going to tell the story. I was going to make it have emotional weight. I was I was out in the garden with my father, and we were picking. We were de uh, de planting. What's the opposite of planting? We were digging up daffodil bulbs um, from the garden, and I was admiring a beautiful compound bulb. Um, and like I don't know, I was turning it over in my hand, um, and I realized that next to my palm, I was cradling the biggest, most fucking ooziest slug, juiciest, smooshiest slug. Um, and I don't know, I noticed, and then like an electric shock went through my body, and I ran into the house, and I did not come out. Wow, with <laughs> So one of those special electric slugs. Um, still, you found a large friend. No, he was so <laughs> dripping. He was so gushy. Um, it was. He was. That's his mucus. <laughs> but anyway, you have that inside of you too. No, I don't. I am the one person in the alive who doesn't have mucus. Believe it. Um, uh, but recently in the kitchen. In in my house, there are slugs and they come out at night to hang out. Um, And sometimes I don't notice them until they've all surrounded me like they're going to kill me. (laughs) Who are you? Why are you here? And they're like, we're here to slime on you and freak you out. Um, And it ruins my night washing, my night cooking, my night tea making, my night water fetching and other night activities that I do in the kitchen. And I don't appreciate it, frankly. So my worm of the week is slugs, but not in a good way, in a bad way. I like their eye stalks. I think they're cute. I dislike their eye stalks. I dislike the raised bit on the back of them. I hate that sometimes they have yellow parts. I don't like the slime. I don't like the tiny baby slugs. What's your problem with the tiny baby slugs? They go into big slugs and they propagate the race. (laughs) You're sounding a bit too. Um... <laughs> You're slug eugenicist. <laughs> now snails, I can get with snails are okay. Slugs, nah. Maybe Ray, we should what's cut your out opinion the bit on slugs. They propagate the race. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a bit intense. And <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Should we end the podcast? Yes, I think we should end idea. the podcast. <laughs> um, yes, but thank you very much for coming on, and it was nice. It was very short notice, so I'm glad that you could, and it worked out and was good. And it was lovely. Yes, thank you. It was for, very lovely. Thank you for having nice me time. on into your into your university. <laughs> yes, now you're official. Uh, both honorary degree holder and also a staff member the secretary who you go to when you feel not very well and you need to call your mum and go home yep if your parents give you permission she'll give you half a paracetamol <laughs> <laughs> otherwise she can just give you an ice pack you can find us on twitter at university although I don't know if there are people who actually listen to our podcast who didn't like see us on twitter first anyway follow us on twitter at university Please email my wife, the podcast, university at university at gmail.com. Um, 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at Frizzoid. Elle, where can people find you and your work? You can find me on Twitter at Occasional L. L is with one E and two L's because that's how my name is spelled. And you can find the two games I've written at OccasionalL.itch.io. I've written a game yeah. about chronic pain and a game about being a wizard. Cool. Yeah. And it shows that you have range. I, I do a bunch of streams and if I'm going to be on something, I retweet onto my Twitter. So like, just follow me there and... Yeah, just follow. Yeah. You can find Josie in her kitchen surrounded by slugs. Screaming, crying. Yes, you can. <laughs>